Y'all got me okay? All right. Man, how do you follow that? That's incredible. Incredible. I'm proud to be here today. Thank y'all for having me again today, me and my family. Uh, as you can see, I came dressed in the native garb of my tribe, the old white dudes. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, the, what I love about hanging out with y'all, first of all, my wife said the same thing. She, she said, I love this church. Uh, just a few minutes ago, she goes, because y'all live up to it. The friendliest church from the parking lot to the pulpit, y'all live up to it every week. Uh, and, and your stamina, I mean, most white churches by this time, <clears throat> listen, they've, <clears throat> they've already paid at Cracker Barrel, man. They're <clears throat> oh, listen. Us white folks are already home watching NASCAR, man. We're gonna, <clears throat> that's enough Jesus for one day. That's all. Can't take any more Jesus. But you guys are just getting started. That's, that's, I love that. Uh, hey, listen, let's spend a little time this morning. I want to talk about this being Multicultural Sunday. I want to talk about the first Jewish barbecue. Okay? All right, so if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're going to get into the Word of God here. And, and when I say the first Jewish barbecue, we know as Southerners that, that, that if you're talking about barbecue, you're talking about pork, right? You're talking about a pig. Okay, so that's why this becomes the first Jewish barbecue. They had had beef, they had had... They had had lamb, but we know that's not real barbecue, right? We know that's the reason that, that God took a rib from Adam, because we know God was Southern, right? We understand that. Okay. So we're going to talk about the first Jewish barbecue and how that ties in with all this. So if you don't have your Bibles with you, it, it, you know, scoot next to somebody who does. We'll get close to each other this morning. And if, if you don't have it at all, just listen, close your eyes and listen as we tell this story. It, it's a story of the Apostle Peter. And, and where we are in Acts chapter 10 is that, you know, Jesus has ascended back to heaven. Jesus is, is seated at the right hand of God. And now this is the story of the Holy Spirit working through the church and creating the church of Jesus Christ. And Peter is at a place where he has taken the word of God from Pentecost, where 3,000 people were saved by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit through Peter's preaching on that Sunday. And now he's moved to a place where he is taking the word of God to other places in Israel. But God is about to do something that is going to open it up to the entire world. And so bear with me on this as we read through Acts chapter 10 together. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now that ought to tell you something to begin with. This man was a Roman soldier. He was an occupier. He was a member of an oppressing army that had conquered Israel and had, had ruled Israel literally for over a hundred years. 
They were an occupying force, and he was a commander as the part of that. But even with that, verse 2 says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He had discovered in the midst of serving in Israel, he had discovered the one true God. He had discovered God himself. And he had forsaken the gods, the Roman gods, all the many Roman gods that there were. He had forsaken that, and he and his family had become devout. And he lived it out. It said he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. So one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius did the same thing that every single person who encounters an angel in the Bible did, right? The first thing angels always say is is two words. Anybody know what they say? Fear not. not. Why? Because people are leaving puddles when they see angels. Okay? So he says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts from the poor have come up to a memorial offering before God. He had found favor with God as a follower of God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was also one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. All right, now, so you've got Cornelius and Peter. Two very distinct people groups. Two very distinct races. Jew and Gentile. Cornelius was a God-fearer, but like I said, he was also an occupier. He was also a Roman soldier. So these two men stood, their people groups stood at distinct polarized places in the spectrum. Now, luckily, we don't have that today where we get polarized in society. So I'm going to ask you to imagine what that looks like. But imagine two polar opposites. The one thing they have in common is God. Amen. So the story continues. This is Peter's side of it. So in verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Going up to spend time with God. Because how do we hear from God if we don't spend time with God? So, like many of us, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter thought this was a test. Because the background was, under Moses' law, there were certain foods that could not be eaten. You couldn't eat pigs. You couldn't eat a lot of seafood or shellfish. The reason for that was this. It wasn't because those animals were necessarily bad in and of themselves. It was the fact that Israel had to be kept separate from the other nations and other gods around them. 
God had a, a purpose for the nation of Israel. You remember, He chose Israel. He chose a nation of slaves coming out of Egypt and said, I have chosen you as my people who are going to lay the groundwork, who are going to be the pathway for me to send the Savior of the world. And that's exactly what happened. God, over the course of their history, told them to remain separate and be holy. Because that's all that holy means. Holy means to be separate and apart. And so that's what he said with Israel. He said, I want you to be separate and apart from these other nations. Because if you don't, you're going to start worshiping their gods. You're going to leave me and forsake me. And they did. Many times. But God always brought them back. God always brought them back. And so as part of that, to teach them to be separate, he taught them certain laws and things that they had to recognize. Things that, that uh, may seem a little strange to us. They weren't allowed to wear two uh, different kinds of cloth together. They weren't supposed to plant two types of crops side by side. The whole idea was be separate. Be holy. And it was the same thing with these dietary laws. So Paul thought, I mean, excuse me, Peter thought, I'm being tested here. He's trying to get me to eat something that I know I'm not supposed to eat. So how does he respond? He says, surely not, Lord, in verse 14. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Jesus said something along these same lines. He said, it's not what we take into our mouths that make us impure or unclean, but what comes out of us. Our hearts, what, what, what reflects our hearts. And so he said, this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, and here's God's timing. The men sent by Cordelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So while Peter was still thinking about this vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. All right, now think about that for a second. What would Peter's reaction be? What would my reaction be? What would your reaction be? I've come from Steve, the grand dragon. You hear what I'm saying? What's your reaction at that point? Yeah, mine too. Uh-huh. I hear you, sister. Hey, I'm with you. Yeah. Then maybe I take it back. I'm not the one you're looking for. But they go on to explain, he is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. He's not your average Roman soldier. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But a holy angel asked him to ask you, told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. 
And the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Oh, man, we got to see this. Are you kidding me? A Roman centurion has just asked Peter to come to his house. We ain't missing this for the world. Okay. So they go along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reference. Wow. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Now this is a man who had seen Jesus transfigured. This is a man who had had followed Jesus, been with him. This is a man who had preached and 3,000 people got saved in one day. But his humility said, I'm just a servant of God. Stand up. I'm only a man myself. So while talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Now, that was partially true. The way the law had worked in Mosaic law was you're to remain separate. You're not to associate with Gentiles. Okay, remember just like we talked about. Stay separate so that you will follow God and so that you can be the people through whom he will bring the Savior. Okay. Okay. So at this point, Peter is looking at kind of a different law because what had happened, what what happened there is that the people of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, took that law and then they (coughs) added to it. What they said was, It is impure and unclean to even associate with a Gentile. To even walk into their house will make you impure and unclean. Now, you won't find that in the Mosaic Law. In the Mosaic Law, it said, welcome the foreigner into your land. It said, welcome the foreigner in and treat them as part of the nation of Israel. They will follow the same laws that you follow. And if they become Followers of God, accept them. Treat them as fellow Israelites. Teach them and treat them as family. But, but the religious leaders had taken the law and said, you can't even go into a Gentile's house. And that's what Peter followed. Because you have to understand where this nation came from and how pride works sometimes. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. God went and he took a nation of slaves. He even told them this. He said, I didn't choose you because you were strong or you had a big army or because you could impose your will on other nations. I chose you because you were weak and powerless. I chose you for my glory so that my glory will show. Not the strength of your army or the wisdom of your kings, but my glory will be shown through you. And the other nations will come to know me through you. But Israel had kind of lost sight of that. And so they began to see, because they were God's chosen people, they began to see that they had a privileged uh, preferential place in God's heart. And it gave them a sense of superiority quite frankly. It made them proud 
And so they began passing rules that said, you can't even walk into a Gentile's house because you are so far above them, it will make you impure and unclean. So, what did we know? What do we learn from this? What do we see? We see that pride will turn the privilege of serving God into prejudice. Jesus. Okay? Pride will take that privilege, that honor that he bestows on us for his glory. The blessings that he gives us. What's the old saying that we're born on third base sometimes and think we hit a triple? Sometimes we do that. We take God's blessings and make it our earnings somehow. And we forget our humility. Okay. So pride turns privilege into prejudice. They had forgotten that they were once slaves. Now we do that. Because the Bible is very clear that every single one of us is born into a place where we are slaves to sin, right? Yeah, absolutely. The Greek word for this in, in the language the, the New Testament is written is doulos. We are all slaves. And, and Paul makes it clear we are going to be slaves to, to something. We are either going to be slaves to sin or we are going to be bondservants, slaves to Jesus Christ. One or the other. We forget that from time to time, that we are slaves to our sin. And so we begin to look at others after we have been freed by Christ, after we have had the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ and being saved by Jesus Christ, we begin to think we're just better people. Okay. Okay. And we forget those things, and our pride turns our privilege into prejudice. So... What do we hear next from him? What do we hear next from, from Peter? Peter said, so when I was sent for, no, excuse me, let me back up just a little bit. He said to them, you're well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I got to tell you, I, I, I was in Washington, D.C. earlier this year, and, and I was with your pastor. And we went to a place called the Museum of the Bible. It was incredible. I mean, what a learning experience to see the progression of the Word of God through, the, through history and how God has brought His Word to this day today. And, and one of the areas we went in, though, was so embarrassing and so hurtful. My wife said I could barely stay in the room. And it was a room called the Slave Bible. This was a Bible that was used by English settlers and by the English to teach slaves to read. But what they did to the Word of God was such an abomination because they cut out any mention of freedom for slaves. So entire sections of the Bible where the Israelites leave the nation of Egypt, where he brings them out of Egypt, taken out, wiped out. Any mention of, of freedom, of Joseph being freed and becoming head over Egypt when he was once a slave, all that was wiped out. It was something, something around the, uh, the, uh, 50% of the Bible at least, 90% of the New Testament taken out of this Bible. 
Sometimes we do that in our hearts, don't we? Peter goes on to say, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. See, it was no longer a Jew and a Gentile, was it? It was no longer people on polarizing opposite sides of society. Now you've got two men who are listening to the same God and coming together to do His will. And everything has changed. So he says, he goes on to say, then Peter began to speak. He said, uh, Cornelius finishes, he says, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. And what he does is he shares the gospel. But before he does that, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let that sink into your heart. God sees in terms of those who are in his family, who are his adopted children because they've accepted the incredible message and gift of Jesus Christ and everyone else he sees as those he wants to be in his family and to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. There are no further distinctions between us. We are, I agree, there we go. Answer that, that may be God. Hey, listen, you, you said social media. God uses social media. God may be tweeting all over the place. In Here's what he says. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses of which he was one, whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking his words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. One God, one Savior, one Holy Spirit that unites all of us. Thank you, Lord. 
that unites all of us. So why in the world, why in the world do we let these other things separate us? Why do we divide down into Democrat and Republican? Why do we divide down into white and black? Why do we divide down into all these separations? I heard your pastor preach just two weeks ago about the flock and the shepherd and, and how the Satan wants to come in and kill and, and destroy and steal and steal us away. How does he do that? He does that by separating us in any way that he can. At the same time that the shepherd is just trying to gather the flock together. That's his plan. Paul said this later. He realized this. Because in just in chapter 9, Paul had been called to be Christ's mission, missionary. And, and his voice to the Gentiles. And so in the book of Galatians, he writes this. He says, there is no Jew nor Greek... There is no slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God tears down the barriers that Satan wants to erect between us. If we let him. That's right. If we let him. See, here's, why, why do we have racism? Why, why does that exist in our land if we know this? The reason why is racism it is, is easy. Racism is easy. Misogyny and hating women is easy. Why? Because it's right there in front of us. We don't have to dig deep to discover the differences between us. Am I right? You can see that walking down the street. And so if you want to separate yourself, if you want to have your pride turn your privilege into prejudice, it's very easy simply by saying that person's different. God gave them more uh, suntan lotion because that's all melanin, what is it, melanin. That's all melanin is in our skin. It's protection from the sun. I just need SPF 100. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm like a fork in a microwave, man. I get in the sun, I'm like a fork in a microwave. Like a fine wine, I come in two colors, white and red. Okay. But you see how easy it is, male and female. It used to be a lot easier, but we still have those divisions between us that we can see so easily to be able to divide ourselves you see what I'm saying? Okay, so racism's easy. So what's, what's hard? Well, love is hard. Love is hard. Now, when, when Paul says this, that there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no uh, Greek or Jew, there's no uh, male or female, there, does that mean that we lose our distinctions, that we lose our diversity? No, we celebrate that. That's right. Man, I, I'm looking at the colors worn today, and, and boy, I hate that my dashiki's in the cleaners, but, but I'm, I'm looking to, you know, I have, I have spent time. My wife and I, a couple of years ago, were in South Africa. We were near Johannesburg and spent time, and the music, oh my gosh, the music today. Wow. I mean, I'm supposed to go back to Taylor Swift after that? How did you do Can't do that. So... So the bottom line is, 
the cultural diversity, the backgrounds that you come from, the lessons that God teaches, the, the examples that we heard set today of living history that continues to go through our communities is vital and it's important. God uses that to make us into who we are and what we learn from each other. So we celebrate that diversity because that diversity is locked together in love. And because we realize in the greater sense we are all one family all under Jesus Christ and everybody out there who's not a member of the family we go out and we try to bring them in to become members of the family until we're all celebrating together at God's banquet table right for all eternity so that's what it is diversity is a strength it's a beautiful tapestry of all these different stories all these different colors all these different paths that have been traveled but they all come back to the same God, the same Savior, the same Holy Spirit who unites us as family, as brothers and sisters. I tell you what, I learned more lessons about this at, 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 the, at the feet of your pastor and, and every day that I spend time in municipal court. It has been the most incredible education I think I've ever received. Because I think the last time I was here, I told you, you don't get more white and privileged than I am. Okay? okay? I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid who came through Vestavia Hills High School and went to Sanford University three times to Sanford University, you know, and, and, and then went out into the world. So my education was a steep learning curve from there, but man, what an education it has been, and especially when I get to spend time, you know, we get to worship God together like this, so thank you. So, love is hard, right? But Jesus said that's the answer. It's the only true way to combat the hate and fear from prejudice. It's the only way. It's the only way that works. You cannot combat hate and fear with more hate and fear. It, that never solves anything, right? If you spend 15 minutes on Facebook, you know that, right? Okay. So what does Jesus say? Jesus in Luke 6 says this. He says, verses 27 through 36. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And it's power. This is what I love because this, is, this has always been taught. If someone slaps you on one cheek, get them back. Yeah, I'm sorry. I missed that. I missed this. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Or as, as somebody used to say, uh, do unto others, then split. Okay. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Man, do you hear the power in that? Because then you're in control of the situation. Somebody hits you on the, on the left cheek and you go, go ahead, I'll give you the other one. Who's in control? Somebody takes your coat forcibly. Hey, would you like the shirt? Wow. Would you? Somebody says, under Roman law, yeah, that's hard. Especially that shirt. But, the, but, you, but somebody comes with you. Under Roman law, a Roman soldier could come up and say, you see my stuff? 
carry it a mile and you had to carry it a mile so what happens you get to the end of that mile and you say I'll keep going who's in control now love changes things love changes things it changes people you can't put up to that other parts of the Bible say this is like heaping burning coals on somebody's head it makes them see their weakness it brings out their pride and their prejudice so what's the answer? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect pay repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. You know how I know that? I was ungrateful and wicked. Wow. And I'm not telling tales out of school, but you know what? You were too. Right. That's it. That's it. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Amen. John says this in his book, 1 John 4:18. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Let me repeat that to you. All right. There's a reason we're called the body of Christ because yes. we are Him when He's not here. That's right. So we are to be like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because that's all prejudice is, isn't it? It's just fear. Fear of what you don't know, fear of what you don't want to know. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So love is hard. But you know what? Love grows on trees. Do you know it? It grew on a tree at Golgotha. It grows out of a cross. That's how far Jesus went for his enemies, for you and for me. He died so that our sins could be taken away. Now, what's our response? What's your response going to be? Peter said it. They hung him on a tree. He was willing to die so, so that he, out of his love, could save all of us. Are you willing to love that much those that hate you? those that are prejudicial, those who don't know, those who still live in hate and fear? Are you willing to be a Peter or a Cornelius? What if, what if one or the other had not been responsive to God in that situation? What if Cornelius had said, listen, I'm a Roman. I don't need anything from a Jewish man. And he had said no to God. What if Peter had stayed in his prejudice and he had said, I'm not going in there and I'm being unclean. I'm not touching or talking to an impure Gentile. What if he had done that? Where would we be? This opened up the message of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world, to us. So can you reach out to those who have oppressed you, degraded you, and judged you? It just takes one of us. It just takes one of us sharing the love of Christ, being Jesus, to break those barriers down. Will you be that person? Amen. Amen. 
Will you do it? Jesus did it for you. So my admonition when we close today, my admonition to you is go and be Jesus for somebody else. Cross a line. Cross a barrier. Let's pray together. Father God, my prayer today is as we celebrate our diversity, as we celebrate our culture, as we celebrate the paths that have brought us here of different colors, different races, different backgrounds, different stories, that, Father, you remind us that we are one. And you remind us that we will never see another human being on this planet that was not made in your image. That you did not create and that you do not wish to adopt as your child. Give us your love for people. A love that's willing to die. A love that's willing to take it to the limit. And we praise you, Father, and we thank you that your son was willing to do that for us. And right now, Father, I pray for anyone in this place who, who, who knows in their heart they don't have that love right now. That they haven't experienced love that would die for them, that would clean them out of their sins and would bring them back into the Father's family. And I pray right now, Father, anyone who has on their heart right now that realization that Jesus died for them to make them sin-free in your eyes and to reunite father and child together, I pray that they just heed that voice. I pray that they step forward, Father. I pray that they come forward and they give their lives to you out of, out of just, just incredible gratitude for what you've done. We praise you, Father, and we thank you. And I praise you for this church, for their pastor. I praise you for the people of this church, for my brothers and sisters here at the 4-5. And I pray that they would be blessings and continue to be blessings for this city, this state, and this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. 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 Amen.